uh, starting week session seven, which will be transformed in my vocational health. It's on page 185. And I thought it was interesting that maybe if you're in a small group, you'll get to this. But one one of the two questions for uh, kind of the icebreaker on the small group, I love this question. Says if you could have any job in the world, any job. If you could have any job in the world, what would it be, and why? You should be thinking about that between now and when your small group meets, whether it's tonight or Wednesday night or later in the week. Um, and my Friday night group's already finished up. We had our last session on Friday, and Pastor Rick's talk on your specifically on your job and glorifying God in your job is incredible incredible lesson that you're uh, in store for um, for week seven one of the questions that i often like to ask people is when you were a kid if you think back to third grade when you were a kid what job did you used to dream about you remember back that far? You know, we start asking kids like in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And in fact, teachers, sometimes parents will say, you can be anything you put your mind to, right? I mean, that's what they told us. Any of you guys ever dream of being a farmer like I did when I was in third grade? I, I wanted to be a farmer. I love food, you know, <laughs> grow my own. Actually, farming's making a resurgence, right? They got these little, you know, farms in your backyard kind of thing. How many of you, you know, by high school, I wanted to be a football player. Any of you guys ever want to be a football player? You know, play in the NFL or something? How about a fireman? Anybody want to, ever want to be a fireman or architect? Anybody want to be an architect? Anybody dream of being president of the United States of America? You know? How about you ladies? Any of you, uh, any of you ladies dream about being a teacher? Yeah, oh, wow. Some of you are teachers. Uh, or that would have been a nightmare, not a dream for me. Uh, actually, I teach. <laughs> Who knows? Um, how about a nurse? Any ladies ever want to be a nurse? How about a, do- or a doctor? You know, doctor? Um, yeah, I see several of you here. An astronaut? Any of you ladies ever want to be an astronaut? That's good. A great dream. I mean, you ladies wanted to be President of the United States of America, right? You could be that as well. We all had dreams growing up, didn't we? Have you ever heard someone say this? Someone say, I, find, I just landed my dream job. Anybody ever hear that? Usually it's a college senior. That's who says that, right? Just landed my dream job. And, of course, every parent of a college senior, any job is a dream job. They're just dreaming you get a job, right? That was my dream job for you. You know, it's entry level. It doesn't matter. You have a job, finally. Right? All of us parents can relate to that. Um, Today I want us to look at, talk about the things that get in the way of our dreams, that block us or keep us from fulfilling our dreams. I want us to look at how do you face the giants in your life at work. But as I was looking at all these points, I realize it's not just at work, that this really applies to all areas of life, the seven areas that we've been talking about being transformed in. That's why I changed the title of this message. Instead of saying this message is how to face giants in your life at work, it's how to face giants in your life and work, because it's every area of life. Our ability to dream is a gift from God. I don't know if you realize that. God gave us as human beings, made in his image, the ability 
to visualize and imagine the future. That's called dreaming. And we've all got to have a dream for our life, a goal. for. Our, if we don't have a dream for our life, then we end up just drifting through life. Life just carries us wherever life wants to carry us. And we just let life happen to us. We're like coasting through life. You know, whenever you're coasting, you're going downhill, right? We are most, it's been said that we are most like our creator when we are, when we are being creative. When we are dreaming about a preferred future. Nothing happens on this planet without a dream. Everything you see, every piece of art, every building, every Every business, every product, everything happens. Every piece of architecture, everything happens because somebody said, oh, I got an idea. Somebody said, you know what? What if we did it this way? What if we improved that system? What if we changed the way we thought about this or that? It's the ability to dream that makes us creators in the image of God. I've invested my life, the last 30 years at least, in encouraging people to discover God's dream for their life, God's purpose and God's plan for their life. And then I've committed to partnering with people to help them to fulfill or to grow into that dream. What I've discovered is that for every person, for every one person who figures out their life dream, their life calling, their life purpose, there are probably nine people who are just afraid to get started. They just don't know where to start. What causes us to be afraid to go after our dreams? I think it's the giants that get in the way, that block our path. These are giant problems in our life. They can be financial problems. They can be relational problems. They can be health problems. They can be emotional problems. It's funny, all the different areas of life that we've been talking about. In transformation. These problems can keep you from fulfilling God's plan, God's dream, God's purpose for your life. So what do you do when you face these giant, these giant problems in life? How do you face the giants at, in life and at work? Fortunately, we've got a great story in the Bible from the Old Testament. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this story many, many times. We probably tell it in kids, in kids Zone at least once a year. It's the story found in 1 Samuel of David and Goliath. Now, if you didn't grow up in, in Sunday school, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. But, man, I've got to tell you, this is a story that you should read for yourself in God's Word. Um, have I mentioned lately we should read, read the Bible together? Yeah. Um, because there is so much that I, I, could, do, I could do a 12-week series on, on just the story of David and Goliath, certainly David's life. Let me begin by reading you 1 Samuel chapter 17, um, verse 1, and then verses 3 through 7. It says, The Philistines now mustered their armies for battle. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, y'all. Imagine how tall that is. That's two feet taller than Shaq. That's nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet 
And his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, and his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. It's unlikely that any of us are ever going to have to face a real live nine-foot giant, a physical giant like David did. But it is highly likely that we're going to have to face some of the common giants that David faced before facing Goliath or some of the common giants that we all face, financial giants, financial problems, marriage problems, relationship problems, work problems. It's the problems of life, these giant problems, that keep us from following God's dream, God's plan for our life. In this story, 1 Samuel 17, David has to face four common giants before he ever gets to Goliath. They weren't physical, but they were just as intimidating. In fact, they could be more intimidating. They can keep us from becoming who God wants us to be and fulfilling God's dream or plan for our life. So let me give you a little background, especially for those of us who maybe need a little review. If you go to the chapter before 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's not your question, it would be 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's an interesting story. Because God visits Samuel, who writes this book, and Samuel is the prophet of the day. The nation of Israel has a prophet. His name is Samuel. God goes to Samuel, and he says, I want you to go to the town of Bethlehem. Hey, we've heard of that before, a little town of Bethlehem. He says, I want you to find a guy named Jesse. He says, and you're going to anoint Jesse's son, as the next king of Israel. Now, what's interesting about this story is the existing king of Israel was still alive, very, very alive. His name was Saul, King Saul. But God had already decided that Saul had wavered from God's path so far that God was done blessing King Saul and said, I'm going to anoint and move my hand of favor to someone new. So God tells Samuel, you're going to go appoint anoint and appoint the next king of Israel. Samuel goes to Bethlehem. He finds this guy named Jesse. He says to Jesse, do you have a son? And Jesse says, not only do I have a son, I've got eight sons. Big family. Samuel says, well, I need to look at them all. So Jesse brings in his seven oldest sons. They were easy to come up with. His Youngest is way out in the field tending some sheep. And he brings them to the prophet Samuel to figure out which one's going to be the next king of Israel. And if you know the story, you'll know that Samuel goes, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one, and not that one, and not that one, and not that one. And he turns to Jesse. He says, do you have any other children? He says, well, yes, I've I've got my littlest son, the little runt, he calls him. Little David, Samuel says, bring him in. So he brings in, it seems almost reluctantly, his youngest son. Samuel takes one look at him and says, that's the guy. You can imagine all the rest of the brothers and the dad going, what? Him? No way. And he anoints him, appoints him as the next king of Israel. And you know what happens next? Nothing. 
nothing happens. Jesse says to his youngest son, well, that was nice. Now get back out there and watch the sheep. Like, thanks, Dad, right? Nothing changes in David's life. He's been given this dream. He's been anointed and appointed, and, and, and he's been told, you're going to be the next king of Israel, but he has to go back out and tend the sheep just like yesterday. This is, there, there's actually a long delay, quite a long delay, between when David is anointed king and when he becomes king, he sees the fulfillment of his dream, There's a big delay, and I would say that that is exactly what happens many times in our lives. So I want you to jot a couple of things that we learned from from David, what he faced, and see that we face those two in fulfilling God's dream, God's purpose, God's plan for our life. The first thing I want you to jot down is David faced delay. No dream is filled instantly. No dream is ever filled instantly. God doesn't give you a dream on one day and then fulfill it the next day. It's usually years later that we see the fulfillment of a dream, of a plan, a purpose that God has. There's always a time for delay. And in David's case, his dad actually holds him back from the dream. And he says, David, you need, okay, that was all nice. That was cool. But you need to get back out there and get to work. You need to get back out there and watch those sheep start tending. He didn't think that David was old enough. He didn't think that he was experienced enough to become the king of Israel. We would all know, well, yeah, Jesse's, Jesse's probably right in that. Verse 12 to 15 says, Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, a pastor from Bethlehem the, in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at this time. He had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, I'm going to murder these names, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimea. That sounds right, but who knows if it is right. They had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. The first barrier of our dream is this. It's not there on your outline. I've got so much there. But you can jot it in the margin or maybe you can remember this one. There are going to be people who will hold me back. You can just count on the fact that there's going to be people in our life that will hold us back from fulfilling, from doing from accomplishing what God has a dream for us to do, what God has given us to do. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you've been held back from what you've wanted to do, what you feel like God has given you a dream of. Some of you, you've been held back because of your age. Some of you, you've been held back because of your race. Some of you have been held back because of your, your gender. Or maybe you weren't pretty enough, or you weren't handsome enough, or you weren't something enough. Discrimination in any form holds us back from being what God intends for us to be. It's a barrier that we have to break through. There will always be people that will want to hold you back. And the sad part is that sometimes those very people that want to hold us back, who hold us back the most, are the ones who love us the most. People that are closest to us. Sometimes even the people who love us will hold us back from accomplishing God's dream or plan in our life. At one point, Jesse goes, you know, my three oldest sons, my three favorite sons, they're out on the front line with King Saul in the army of Israel. So he turns to David, the messenger boy, the errand boy, the sheep-watching runt of the 
the litter of Jesse. He says, hey, David, I want you to take a care package of food to your brothers, your older brothers who are fulfilling their plan on uh, God's plan on the battlefield. So he sends David with all this food. And when David shows up with food for the brothers, he sees the battle firsthand. And when he's delivering this food to his brothers, he notices that every day this giant, Goliath, we know his name, is coming down every day and he's shouting these taunts to the armies of Israel. He's trash talking. He's saying, we're going to whip your fannies. You guys are going to run and hide. We're going we're to crush you. You know, he's trash talking. Not only is he trash talking them, but he goes as far as trash talking them and their parents and even your mama's ugly and even your God. I mean, he brings God into the whole thing. He's taunting them. And David notices nobody's doing anything about this guy. And everybody around is scared to death with this nine-foot-tall giant and all his bronze armor. And they're embarrassed. They're afraid. They're terrorized. They're traumatized. Nobody wants to do anything. They're all scared to death. And that brings us to the second barrier in finding and fulfilling the dream that God gives you, and that's discouragement. David faced discouragement. You're going to face delay. You're going to face discouragement. You'll be discouraged sometimes because nobody thinks you can do what God says to do. Nobody has hope. Nobody thinks we can do it. Nobody believes we can take down this this giant. They're all scared and they're all convincing each other that it's impossible to make a difference. Goliath had created an atmosphere of fear in Israel. And everybody concluded, we are going to lose this battle. It's just a matter of time. This guy is going to kick our tails, and we are going to, we're going to be slaves to the Philistines. They're going to, there's, there's nothing we can do. They had almost given up hope. In verse 8 and 10 through 10, it says, Goliath stood, and he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out? Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I'm the Philistine champion. You're only the servants of Saul. Choose one of the men to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me. He does this twice a day for 40 days in a row. They're all demoralized. They're all going, well, you go. No, I'm not going. No, you go. I'm not going. They're they're hopeless. One translation says they were so frightened they couldn't do anything. They were paralyzed in their fear. Fear will do that. Fear will paralyze us. Have you ever been in a situation where everyone around you, everybody in your family thought it was hopeless, everybody in, on your team thought it was hopeless, everybody in your company thought it was hopeless, everybody in your circle of friends, they all thought it was hopeless? They're saying, it just can't be done. This is never going to happen. So they're, they're discouraged, and they're convincing each other to be discouraged because they're filled with fear. I was like, there's nothing we can do about this problem. It's, it's common knowledge. It's conventional wisdom says we're going to lose. Well, here's the thing that, you need, that we need to realize. Conventional wisdom is often wrong. When everybody is all going, yeah, yeah, this is bad. Conventional wisdom is often wrong. It says twice in the passage that Goliath challenged the ranks of the Israeli army. Sometimes the solution to our problems, sometimes the solution to our situation, to the giants that we're facing... It's going to come from somebody outside the ranks. If your whole family's in the storm, you can't really see 
the storm because you're in it. If your whole company's in the storm, if your whole uh, your whole group is in the storm, you can't see. You need somebody from the outside sometimes to kind of help you see that hey, there's some things bigger than this storm. There's some things we can do. You need a little kid from the village to come up and say, you know, we can do this. You need a fresh set of eyes sometimes because the crowd is was wrong. Just because somebody says it's true doesn't make it true. Just because a lot of people say it's true doesn't make it true. Just because the crowd says it's so doesn't make it so. Somebody has to come and challenge this status quo. And David comes by and he's he's the one. Because why had everybody given up? Why had they gotten so discouraged? Why were they so afraid? The answer is they were listening. They were listening to the wrong voice. They listened to Goliath every day, twice a day for 40 days. Look what it says, 40 days, for 40 days in verse 16. Morning, every morning, every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. It's no wonder they get discouraged. They're listening to this guy day after day after day after day. What seemed preposterous on day one when he said it, now on day 39, seems like it's the gospel truth. Well, there's no gospel truth in anything that Goliath is saying. They listen to the wrong voice for 40 days. The question for us is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to that's telling you it can't be done? Who are you listening to who are putting down your dreams? Who are saying it'll never happen? You don't have enough money. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough faith you don't have enough it's who's telling you to forget it don't even try get back in your lane they're saying who's telling you you're not the person to do this to take this on if we listen to negative people long enough you know what happens we become negative you take a positive number and a negative number you add them together you still end up with a negative don't you you take a positive electron, negative electron, you put them, it's, it's a negative charge, those of you into science. When we're around negative people long enough, we become negative. It's highly contagious. Fear is contagious. Lack of courage, that's contagious. Negativity, that's contagious. You know, it's going to take more than a mask to protect you from negativity and fear. Sometimes what you need is a fresh voice. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, I'm reading you verse 23 and 24, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So they're all running away. So let me, give you, let me give us some advice here. What I get when I read this is, man, I need to not hang out with fearful people. Don't hang out with fearful people. Because if you do, you're going to become fearful. If you hang out with cowards, you're going to become a coward. If you hang out with negative people, you're going to become negative because it's highly contagious. The first barrier to our dream is delay. Somebody's trying to hold you back. But the second barrier to your dream is all of the discouragement that comes from these discouraging people. 
Listening to the wrong voice will discourage you. Third thing we see that David faced is David faced disapproval. He even faces disapproval from people who are close to him. This is the third dream buster, this giant called disapproval. David has to handle this. He has to overcome. He has to be willing to face the disapproval of people who are close to him in order to achieve or to go after his, his dream. And you will too. Here's the problem. The reason why most people don't ever go after God's plan for their life, God's dream for their life, they're afraid to. They're afraid of disapproval. They're afraid of what mom's going to think or what dad's going to think or what your friends are going to think. In David's case, it's his own brother. Someone he admired, someone he looked up to, his older brother, questions his motives, his disapprove of David going after the giant. Truth is, we want everyone to like us. We especially want our family to like us. We especially want the people who we like to like us. We want people to approve of everything we try, everything that we do. But if you go after God's dream for your life, if you go after God's plan for your life, I guarantee you this, there are going to be naysayers. There are going to be people in your life, there will be critics in your life. There will be misunderstanding in your life. It doesn't have to just be with your job. It can be in any area of your life. There's going to be attacks. The reason is you have an enemy. We've talked about him before. The devil doesn't want you to accomplish God's plan or fulfill God's purpose for your life. He's going to attack you. Apparently, he does a pretty good job of using some of the very people that we love in our own homes or in our own churches to discourage us from doing that. He says, they can never do that. And they say, you can never do that. David's own brother questions his motivation. He treats his younger brother with disdain. He treats him with, he demeans him, he he belittles him. I'm going to read you these verses, their conversation, and I want you to listen for the sibling rivalry that's going on here. But when David's oldest brother, this is verse 28, when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. His brother gets mad. He says, what are you, what are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know you about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. Circle the word now. What have I done now? I was only asking a question. Man, when I see that word now, it makes me realize, I, I feel like this conversation has happened before over Thanksgiving dinner. Right? Can you hear the sibling rivalry, the, the family dynamics that are going on here? That... It's sometimes even your own family that gets in the way that doesn't want you to accomplish God's dream. I don't know why his older brother feels this way or why people sabotage God's dream in our lives. And maybe it's envy. Maybe it's jealousy. And maybe they think they know you better than you know yourself. And they might know you better than they know yourself, but they don't know what God's plan is for your life. They don't know what God can do, what God's strength can do. In your life, it may be that if you try to follow God's plan, God's purpose of your life, that it makes them feel embarrassed. It makes them look bad. I don't know what it is, but obviously we've learned that sibling rivalry can lead to a lot 
of resentment. If you read your Bible, by the way, have I mentioned we need to read about If you read your Bible, you will see sibling rivalry like crazy every time you turn the page, it seems like. Jacob and Esau, so many others. When God gives you a dream, other people are going to stand in the way of that dream. They're going to they're going to be they're going to tell you you can't do this. And you're going to be afraid to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in your life if you go for that dream because of the discouragement of others. I can promise you you'll be misjudged, you'll be maligned, you'll be misinterpreted. This is the giant of disapproval. You have we all have to. We all have to decide what matters more. The approval of other people or the approval of God? What matters more? Well, there's one other dream buster. The fourth dream buster that David had to face, even before he faces Goliath, is doubt. This is one we all will face in our life, in many areas of our life. First there's delay, then there's discouragement, then there's disapproval, and then there's doubt. Am I really capable of, of this? Am I really up to the task that God's got before me? Can I actually do what God's asking me to do? And the answer, if God's asking you to do it, is almost always, no, I'm not. Because here's the thing. God doesn't ever ask you to do anything that's so easy you can do it. God's not in business saying, hey, I want you to do this. And it's so easy for you. It's like, oh, no problem. No piece of cake, God, I got this. Because God's interested in giving us tasks, dreams, plans, purposes for our life that require us to trust him. And you're like, God, there's no way I could do this without you. He says, exactly. I want you to focus on, you can't, I can't do this without you, God, but I'm going to trust you to do it through me. I'm going to trust you to do it anyway. So there's people around you, and they're looking at you, and they're going, you can't do this. You can go, yep, you're right, I can't. There's no way you can do this. You've never done this before. What do you know about this? Yep, yep, yep. They're all right. But they don't know what God's speaking to you about, what he's calling you to do, or what his plan is for your life, and what he's going to do to make up the difference. In David's case, the expert doubted his ability. At that time, there was probably no better expert on warfare than King Saul. King Saul had been battling... His whole life. And when King Saul hears that this little kid is willing to take on this giant who's paralyzed the entire Israeli army, the entire nation, he says, hey, bring him to me. So he brings David to see him. I think he just wants to see, is this even true? Who in the world is this kid? David goes to see King Saul, and here's the conversation in verse 32 and verse 33. David says this. He says to the king, don't worry about this Philistine David told Saul, I'll go fight him. David says, don't worry about a thing, king. I'll fight this Philistine. Now Saul's response would be just what ours Don't be ridiculous. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. The expert is saying, you can't do this. That's enough to make you start doubting yourself. That, that experts are saying, no, you're not qualified. You, you're, you're not educated enough. You don't have the right background. You, we, we've never done it that way. Here's the thing, though. 
Experts, we can see this all through our life, and you can see all through the pages of history. Experts are often wrong. In fact, all the new dreams, new inventions, new improvements are all because someone came by and they challenged the way the experts have been doing it. Well, what if we did this, or what if we lined it up different, or what if we tried that? All the improvements. He's saying you can't do it. How do you defeat the giants that keep that are keeping you from being the the man that God wants you to be? How how do you defeat the giants that are keeping you from being the woman that God wants you to be? The person of great faith that God wants you to be? How do you overcome those giants? Well, we have to do, and this is the practical application, we have to do the four things that David did to defeat these giants before he even gets to face Goliath. I want you to jot these down. These are the things that we can take home and apply to our life that helps us not just in dreaming in the area of our vocation, what has God called me to do, to live, but you could be 80 years old here today. We had a couple of 80-year-olds in the earlier service. And you're like, well, I needed to hear this a long time ago, Jerry. No, no, no. God's not, God still has a plan for your life. If you're still breathing, God's got a plan for your life. The rest of your life can be the best of your life. God has a purpose still for you. So what do I need to do in order to slay these giants or defeat these giants in my life? Number one, I've got to remember how God has helped me in the past. I've got to remember how God has helped me in the past. That's the first thing we do is remember, because this is a big confidence builder. When I remember, when I recollect, when I talk about how God has helped me, and I look back over my life of what he's done in the past, it gives me confidence what he's going to do in the future. In fact, this is the, the whole reason we do Stones of Remembrance every November here at Seminole Community Church. We don't do Stones of Remembrance to tell all the miracle stories so that new people can hear them. Oh, it's nice that you get to hear them, and I invite you to come if you've never heard those stories. They're awesome. We tell all the miracle stories and Stones of Remembrance about what God has done in the past in our church so the pastor doesn't forget what God has done. So that I'm reminded. Because when I, you know, there were times where I would get discouraged or I would, I would feel like, man, we're, we're facing this giant. We're, there's no way that, and, um, and God would use people in my life, mentors in my life, and all of a sudden they'd call me on the phone and they'd say, how's it going? One of them was Jim Skinner. He helped build this building. And, and I'd say, well, Jim, this is wrong and that's wrong. We've got a shortage here. We've, we've got a leadership thing here and we've got a problem over there. And he'd, he'd start going, well, I remember when I got there. We didn't have no money. God built that building. Well, I remember when we had the, the problem with the, and God solved that. And I remember, and you know, after about four or five of his stories, you start feeling like, man, God can do anything. We need that in our lives to look back. And if some of you, you need to go home. You need to go home today, and you need to write down the top ten things God has ever done in your life. Whatever it is, he got me out of this. He fixed that. He saved us from that. He healed me from this. And, and if you don't have ten big ones, then you write down the five big ones or seven big ones and three little ones. If you can't come up with at least ten little things God has done in your life, you come see me. I'll help you figure it out. But there's plenty of things that God has done in your life. And when we see the things that he's done in our past, it helps us to face the future of whatever we're facing now. And you say, you know, remember that time I thought I wouldn't make it? But I did. Remember that time I thought it was the end? But it wasn't. Remember that time I thought I was at the bottom and I'd never get out of that pit? But I did. Remember that time where I thought I was alone and discovered God was there the whole time? And you remember how God has helped you in the little times 
and realize he's going to help you in the big times in the future. Because God never changes, just like we say, great is your faithfulness, O God. God doesn't love you one day and then not love you another day. God doesn't bail you out and provide and answer prayers in the, in the little ways in your past and then leave you for the big things. All the little things he's done in the past is to build your faith and prepare you because he's going to meet that need in your life in a big way in the future. So you remember how God has helped you in the past. And this is what David did in verse 36. David starts getting all historical on everybody. He says in verse 36, I've done this I've done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now that's confidence. Everybody else is afraid. Everybody else is looking at Goliath. David's looking at what God's already done in his life. He's like, I'll do this again. This is no problem. Number two, I use the tools that God has given me now. I use what God has given me now. That means I don't wait. I don't wait for something I don't have. I don't have enough, I don't have enough money. I, I can't take this. I, I, I don't have enough time. I don't, I don't have enough education. I don't have enough connections. I don't have enough opportunities. I don't have this. I don't have that. No, you use what God has already given you now. God has already given you enough to take the next step of faith. Well, I'm waiting on my stimulus check. I don't know what you're waiting on. I'm waiting on, you know, my promotion. I'm waiting on, on some help. Nope. God has already given you everything you need to follow him and step out in faith. He will provide. He will provide what you need. And he has given you the tools now. So David... He goes to see Saul. Saul says, well, you know what? If you're going to fight, then I want you to, I'm going to give you my armor. How ridiculous is that? This isn't going to work. David's short. He's a little boy. He was the runt he was described as, remember? Saul, if you go back to the, see the description of Saul at the beginning of his life, you discover that Saul is head and shoulders taller than every other man in the kingdom of Israel. In other words, every other man in existence, only comes up to his shoulders. He's a whole head and shoulders taller than all of them. So this is going to be comical when he puts on his armor. It says in verse 38, Then Saul gave David his own armor, bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and he took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I'm not... He says, I can't, I can't go in these. He protested. I'm not used to them. He can hardly walk. So David took them off. He picked up five stones from the stream and he put them in his shepherd's bag. He says, this is what I'm used to. I'm going to use the sling, the slingshot that, I've, that God has always used. I don't need your armor. I'm just going to do this and trust in God. Let me just say this. When you start trying to pursue God's plan for your life, God's dream for your life, God's purpose... There are some people that are going to oppose you on it. There's going to be opposition. But there's also going to be people who are going to say, yeah, go for it, but here's how you do it. Yeah, you follow your dream, but do it my way. Yeah, go after that, but, you know, get my formula. Give me, you know, your $299, and I'll show you, you know, seven easy ways, seven steps to success, whatever it's going to be. And they're, they're going to try to convince you to do it their way. But you're not them. 
And if you try to if you try to fulfill God's purpose for your life doing it the way other people do it, modeling it after somebody else, you're going to fail. Because God doesn't want you to copy your life after somebody else. He doesn't want you to do what they do. God has a unique plan for your life. God has gifted you. He has, we call it, he has shaped you specifically. I mean, you're not one in a million. You're probably one in a trillion. God has given you, in fact, God made you to be you. Pastor Richard and I are going to start a series starting next week on how God has shaped you. He's given you certain spiritual gifts. He's given you a heart and a passion for certain things that other people don't have. They're unique to you. He's given you specialized abilities that you have that other people don't have. He's given you a, a personality, a, a unique personality. He's given you unique life experiences and spiritual experiences and educational experiences. And when God takes all of those ingredients and mixes them up in different ways, that's why every single one of us is completely unique and different. And, and every single one of us has a unique and different plan or purpose that God has created us for. This series helps us get a grip on how do we figure out what God's purpose is for my life? Well, we look at what he's created. We look at ourselves, and we look at our spiritual heart, our spiritual gifts, our heart, our personality, those kind of things. I hope you'll join us for this series. And if you're not able to be here because you're on vacation, tune in. It's easy to jump online. I'm going to miss a couple of them. I'll be tuning in when Rich teaches. God made you to be you. Nobody else can be you. We don't need two of you. (laughs) You know, one of you is enough. But you need to be you. And don't try to be somebody else, because we don't need two of them either. And God has a plan for your life, and he has a purpose for your life. And he's going to plant a dream in your heart and use that to help guide you in that direction. And he wants you to do it your way, his way, not somebody else's way. All right, third thing that I've got to do if I'm going to follow David's plan. I can remember how he's helped me in the past. I've got to use what he's given me now. And then I've got to ignore the dream busters. And there's plenty of those in our life. I must ignore the dream busters in my life. It's just interesting to me that as David is going out to take on the giant, nobody encourages him. Nobody gives him words of encouragement. He didn't get any encouragement from anybody. Not a single word of encouragement when he goes out to the battlefield. It's not like the troops are going, okay, David, let's go, let's go, you can do this. Nope, nobody. His dad doesn't encourage him. Oh, get out there and watch, watch the sheep. His mom doesn't encourage him. The army soldiers, they're scared to death. They don't encourage them. The king, whose reputation is online, he doesn't encourage them. His brothers don't encourage them. So what does David do? This is interesting to me. He had to encourage himself in the Lord. Do you do that? Do you know how to do that? Do you encourage yourself in the Lord? You say, well, dear, there's just nobody in my life. There's nobody in my corner. There's nobody rooting for me. You don't need them. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. You plus God's enough. I'm so sorry if you don't have any encouragers in your life. I'm so sorry. 
if your parents aren't encouraging you to follow God's plan for your life. I'm so sorry if there's nobody in your corner. But you know what? You can still accomplish God's dream for your life in spite of the fact there's nobody in your corner encouraging you. You just got to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. This is so important. If we're going to go after our dream, we've got to encourage ourselves in the Lord because there might be nobody else who's going to encourage you. Now, this is very different from just having a positive mental attitude. Nothing wrong with having a positive mental attitude, but this isn't, you know, I'm going to go out face a giant and, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, I mean, that's nice, but that's not going to accomplish anything. This is, encourage yourself in the Lord is based in a, in a bedrock trust of God's faithfulness, just like we say, God's faithfulness, his character, his promises, his provision, God's grace, God's power, and God's kindness. You're trusting in God. Well, I don't know if anybody else believes in it, but God, I believe you and I trust you, and I'm going to move forward with you regardless of anybody else's encouragement. You know where you get that kind of encouragement? You get it when you spend time with him every day. That's how you encourage yourself in the Lord. There are some problems in your life that are so significant, such big giants, that you're not going to be able to just, you're not going to be able to just psych yourself up or give yourself a little, a little saying, you know, just feel better, put a smile on it, you know, suck it up, buttercup, um, you know, have good thoughts. Those aren't going to be enough to get you through some of the giants that you're going to face. Nothing wrong with being positive, but I'm positive it won't be enough. It's going to come down to we're going to have to trust God. You need something deeper for the deepest, darkest days of life. You need a bedrock trust in God's grace and God's love and God's power and God's sovereignty, and he's never going to leave you, lead you to a place where he won't guide you. His plan is a solid plan, but you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. Because nobody else is going to give you that encouragement sometimes. The last thing I've got to do is I've got to expect what David did. And what we've got to do is I've got to expect God to help me for his glory. I've got to expect God to help me. This is interesting to me too. What David does, if you're going to go after your dream, if you're going to go after God's plan for your life, God's purpose for your life, then this is the faith factor. This is where you go... I've spent time with God. I feel led by God. I'm going to move forward with God. And I love what David says to Goliath when he runs out onto the battlefield. This just gives me chills every time I read it. So David, everybody else is silent. David shots out there, and he replied to the Philistine in verse 45, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, <laughs> listen to this confidence. Today the Lord will conquer you. He will kill you and I will kill you and cut off your head and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Yeah, if all that happens, we're all going to know there's a God in Israel because this isn't going to happen. That's what everybody's thinking. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. That's some kind of confidence. Now, who is David confident in? His sling, his stones, himself? No. He's confident in God. So the question for us is, the question for you is, what are you expecting God to do in your life? 
What are you expecting God to do in your life? Not much. Nothing. Without even knowing you, I can tell you this. God is, God is doing exactly what you expect Him to do. No more and no less. Because every time God moves out of heaven and He moves on earth, it's because somebody believed the Bible says, according to your faith, it'll be done unto you. The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. According to your faith, it'll be done unto you. You get to choose how much God does in your life. What a crazy concept. God, what do you want to do in my life? God would say, more. What do you want to do in my life? A lot. God, what do you want to do in my life? Far more than you could ever dream or imagine, it says in Scripture. That's what God wants to do. So what's the problem? I'm the problem. You see, you don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to be the wealthiest person. You don't have to be the best looking person. But you have a choice that God gives you today to trust him or not. Because whatever is not a faith is sin. He says, I expect God to give, to help me for his glory. We have no idea how much our unbelief could be limiting ourselves or limiting someone we love. Is your unbelief limiting your wife? Is your, is your unbelief limiting your husband? Is your unbelief limiting your child? Don't be Jesse. Don't hold them back when God says, I've got a great dream for you. I know it's not your dream as a parent, but it's God's dream. We should all want our kids to fulfill God's plan, God's purpose, God's dream for their life. That should be our number one prayer as parents. Not only do I find God's plan and purpose for my life, but that my kids find it. That I lead them by example. So we need to all say, you know, I'm not going to let anybody else's unbelief hold me back from finding God's plan for my life. And I'm not going to let my unbelief hold anybody else back. I hope you'll be here starting next week. As we look at what does this look like to discover God's purpose, God's plan for our life based on how he's shaped us. And as Pastor Rich and I talk about this and give you some, some homework to work on, I think you can start to get a, get a glimpse that God has a plan for your life. A special, unique plan for all of our lives. And that it can be so much fun, so fulfilling and so fruitful to find that plan. Let's pray and ask him to help us. With our heads bowed. Eyes closed. There's a lot of things in your life that you just don't have control over. You know that. This pandemic has taught us that. You know, there's a lot of things that you don't choose. You don't choose your natural talent. You don't choose when you're born. You don't choose where you're born. You don't choose your race. You don't choose your gender. There's so much arguing over all of those things. You didn't choose your talent. But you do get to choose how much you're going to trust God. And it is that faith factor 
that will defeat the giants of delay and discouragement and disapproval and doubt. If you will say yes to God, he will take you on the adventure of your life. It really doesn't matter what's happened in your life. You can say today, I want the rest of my life, no matter how many years I've got, to be God's 100%. So I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Right where you're seated, you don't have to say it out loud. You can just pray to God and say, Dear God, you've helped me many times in the past. You've helped me through things I thought I'd never get out of, but you did help me. And if you helped me in the past, I know you're going to help me in the future. Help me to remember that and to draw my confidence from that. Even when people discourage me or disapprove of me or even when people misunderstand me, help me to use the tools that you've given me now, not to wait for a perfect time and a perfect place and a perfect tool, but to use maybe the slingshot and the stones that I have right now. Help me to not try to wear somebody else's armor, but to just go in your strength. And Lord, help me to ignore all the dream busters in my life and help me to start every day with a time alone with you so that I can encourage myself in the Lord. I don't need the encouragement of other people because I'm encouraging myself in the Lord and spending time with you. And help me to expect you to help me. Not for my glory, but for yours. That the whole world will will know that there is a God. And that everyone will know that the Lord doesn't need weapons to rescue his people. Lord, I've been tired Because I've been trying to fight these battles as if they're mine. It's your battle. What I'm facing, it's your battle. And I want to relax and trust you to give me the victory. So Jesus Christ, I invite you to come into every room of my life. Come into the living room. Come into the bedroom, come into the bathroom, come into the kitchen, come into all the closets. I want you to run everything in my life from now on. Lord, I want you to be the manager of my life from this day forward. And I thank you in advance that I will see the giants fall and your dream for my life will come true. And I ask all of this in your name, Lord. Amen. Hey, SEC Online, Mallory here. Thank you again for spending part of your busy weekend with us. Just like that 50 days of transformation is a wrap. I hope that you all have the best week ever in your transformation groups as this series comes to a close. I hope that you're walking away from this series with a stronger relationship with God and with some new or deeper friendships with others here at Seminole Church. Who knows, maybe some of these transformation groups will end up being life groups that meet throughout the year. I hope that you'll join us again next week. We'll be starting a new series. Have a wonderful week, guys.